Is this for credits? The NZATE podcast. Philly Wintel, this term is just spinning by. How's yours going? It is. We've, like everyone, um, year 12s and 13s have gone. Our year 11s don't do exams, so they're hanging around. We're moving into the time of the year where we're reflecting on programs and there's a lot of reflection to do and a lot of revision to do this year because I think in particular our year 11 cohort is different to how we imagine them to be, just thinking of some gaps in learning post-COVID and mm. um, so, including social learning as well. So um, I'm excited but, but also appropriately apprehensive about the kind of redesign of our year 11 program and the revision of our year 12 program to, to respond to the needs of our learners. Um, so I'm sort of in this weird limbo space where I'm overwhelmed with the job that has to be done and yep. the responsibility that we have um, and also really excited to, to get creative again, uh, but almost catatonic because all of a sudden the big kids have gone and I'm just sitting there staring at the wall thinking about yeah, kind of noticing how big the year has been well we're doing mm. a similar thing but we've decided we're going to revise the entire program of learning from year 9 to 13 but we've decided to do it over five years yeah. starting with next year's year nines and they're yeah. essentially going to be the the front line for that change as it moves through the entire the years and we're so so we've, we're like you we've kind of got a lot of big picture thinking to do so that we can get the framework within which that can happen mm. it's exciting eh? yeah very exciting i think it's mm. probably stimulated a little bit by what we've just experienced but also by all of the shifts that are happening in education at the moment you know the mm. oncoming change to nca the, the 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 what is it the rewriting of the curriculum oh, i know it's sort of a refresh but it's a rewrite it's definitely yeah. a rewrite there's so much i think yeah. that's where so like overwhelm comes from is just mm. thinking we've got to and i guess we we operate like on a three-year cycle this is my third year yeah. um at the school that i'm at and when I came in, it was it was sort of like a three had this three year vision, and that time has kind of mm. passed. And now post COVID, well, not post, but you know, whatever, post mm. sort of lockdown time, it's like we need to reset. So it's going back into yeah. that that three year yeah. revisioning. Um, but trying to think about what do we do now that prepares us for 2024, that prepares us for the new curriculum, that prepares us for mm. co requisites, that prepares us for potential change in government and then and then mm. that's why I stare at the wall. <laughs> and actually something that, that I feel quite inspired by is the conversation we had with Tanya Roxburgh and wow, her, cool. her work with her masters moving into PhD. Boy, what an inspirational woman she is. Yeah, I agree. Very easy to talk to, very easy to listen to as well, which I think is quite a rare quality that you can just kind of sit back and follow somebody's ideas um hmm. and i think because they're presented so honestly and yeah so authentically so i hope everybody enjoys so now we're offering that to this audience you can spend some time with tanya roxborough let us know what you think enjoy Can you tell us a little bit about the research that you're doing, what the what some of the key foci of your dissertation are? 
So I started learning te reo Māori in 2012 and uh, didn't understand what I was getting myself in for. Like I knew, I grew up knowing that I was Māori, but I wasn't interested in exploring that. I was more proud of the fact that I was Irish. So I was a Kelly. I am a Kelly. Um, uh, because I, because like many of us uh, in that in the 70s, believed that things Māori were less than, weren't valid, weren't legitimate, weren't, weren't necessary for well-being. Um, and that all changed once I started learning te reo Māori and investigating Māori knowledge. And it was like, like believing that the world was flat and then going out to space and realising that it's round. That's kind of how I changed. And then I thought, everybody needs to know this stuff. Like I did a history paper on um, protests and collaboration, um, which looked at the time of the introduction of the muskets in 1833 right up until the MMP, and or, but seeing through a Māori lens. And that was why I wrote the novel Bastion Point because I thought people don't know about this stuff. I mean, I was old enough to live through it. In fact, um, I realised much later that my mother had some of the protesters from the landmark sleeping on her couch. Um, and yes, I remember <laughs> I remember that. And it was actually seeing a, a, a scene from the film in the, in the lecture theatre that I went, I reckon this, and it brought back a memory of that happening. And then... Um, and as I as as the world is what I feel like the rest of us English teachers have caught up with, oh, this stuff is amazing. Um, and because of my love of Shakespeare, I thought, okay, so how can I how can I bring together these two things that I love, te reo and um, Matauranga Māori, into a text which is very much seen as the as a tool of the colonizer, which was William Shakespeare. And I have talked about this before, but it was one moment where on Tuesday night I was at a class and in Te Whariwananga and we looked at a whakatoki that was using a brown duck and it talked about how this brown duck makes its um, nest in the uh, in the in the reeds in the water, so the water's flowing, and it's supposed to represent someone who can make a home anywhere and is really good at, at um, keeping its family safe regardless of what's happening around it. And then the next day I did that scene where Duncan comes in and says, this castle hath a pleasant seat. It, the air nimbly and sweetly recommends itself until our gentle um, senses. And then I think it's Malcolm or Banquo, I can't remember which one, talks about the martlet and how the martlet makes its home in the in the castle. And it was like, that's like, oh, my God, that's like the brown duck. And it was at that moment I went, oh, but... Māori did this too. And if everyone says Shakespeare's amazing, why aren't they saying this about Māori? And so that was where, and that was about three or four years ago, and that was when I started to think, I think I'd like to do some further study. But it wasn't until the start of this year, so this is a long answer to a short question, it wasn't to the start of this year that I um, was exposed to uh, the whakaro around what it means to be a Māori researcher and that for Māori, 
um, all research and mahi must be transformative for the community. And that was when I went, okay, so it's not enough just to go, oh, what are the similarities between Shakespeare and Mautaro and Māori? Mine was, how do I help other people see these connections in a way that is authentic and exciting and doesn't make people feel shamed or embarrassed, but excited. So that's that's the journey. Did that mean that you had to um, add like a, a an additional dimension to your study, you know, not only indulge in these um, areas of interest for you, but then think about, well, how do I put this through the lens of service? What additional challenge did that put into you, or opportunity perhaps, that's the wrong language to be using? So in my first master's paper was um, a real Māori um, paper that looked at um, real toku iho, so um, poroporo aki, the language of the marae, the language of the tangihanga. So it was all in te reo Māori. So I was out of my depth in it. I did, I passed it. I can't believe I got an A, but I did. Um, it really stretched me because it was all in te reo Māori, but it was looking at classic, beautiful language. So basically the Shakespeare mm. of Māori kōrero. And then I took a Shakespeare paper um, and looking at the time, uh, well, it was an Elizabethan paper, and that was really interesting, looking at the politics of the time and why these plays were happening. But it wasn't until this year when I did started the methodology paper and I learned about transformation that I realised that I actually have to do something practical with this and then I had to shift sideways. So I actually parked the commonalities between Shakespeare and um, and Matauranga Māori and looked at what small little research can I do and that's where I um, created that little pūrāko workshop that I did with your guys Chris and I did with our kāhui ako and it was in doing that so actually doing the mahi that I thought oh then what I could do is I could provide it an exemplar of how could you take what you love teaching in English and imbue Matauranga Māori in it. And my PhD, what I'm hoping my PhD will be, will be taking the play A Midsummer Night's Dream and doing just that, like what I did with the Pūrāko and said, here are these stories in Te Ao Māori and here are the connections. Here is here is one way of making connections between uh, a Māori worldview um, and a Eurocentric worldview. So... And and in terms of answering a question about the challenges, it it has felt to me like what it might feel like if you had to write an essay on religion, having never grown up in the church, um, because this is uh, Maori knowledge that I'm doing my postgraduate studies in, and I am learning as I go. I did not grow up in this world, and so when my supervisor asks certain questions I don't have the answers to them because I don't know like does that put you you in quite a vulnerable space but also empowering space as a learner like what's that what's your experience and there have been lots of tears um and I have felt a lot of the time I've thought why am I doing this what right do I have to even try to do this I come from such a, a space of lack like there are people like um Rangi Matamua and 
Linda Smith and Tatimati Karatu and all of those people who are, and Scotty and Stacey Morrison and Hemi Mikali and Tamir, Tamir, Tamir. There, there's all these people who have all of this knowledge and it's in them, like Peroni Gloin. What, what, what do I have anything to say? And so, but the answer to that question, my husband's reminded me, and Chris, you've, you said it once. I can't remember when you said it, but it made me feel so much better. I am a little bit ahead along the journey of all of those other teachers who have who have not yet started and who feel the same way. And so that is what transformation, transformative research is about. And and that's what um, that's why Tane went up and got the the baskets of knowledge as he ca- he came to bring them down to give them to the community to benefit the community. I'd like to amplify that and say, having had the experience of you coming and working with our team, that there's definitely an issue of paralysis in the English teaching yep. fraternity around Mataronga Māori and the yep. whole uh, imperative that we have set for ourselves of, yes. of embracing that. We want to, but we feel inadequate in the same way that you have beautifully described there. And what you did for us was, first of all, shared your vulnerability which of yep. course made us feel safe and then provided us with some starting points, which I think one of the things that you're offering and it'd be really good for us to investigate a little further is that uh, foot in both camps because you are also, you know, for how many, 20 or more years an English teacher. Yeah, and 30, so you actually. also, thir- 30, sorry, <laughs> the, the sorry. decades just spin by, sorry, 30 yeah. or more years and therefore also understand that world. And yep. someone who, who who comes from both places allows, it makes you a mm. translator in a lot of ways, not, not necessarily linguistically, but in yeah. terms of the experience. Because I love both, eh? Like mm. the translation of Fakaro Māori and the the the, the and getting excited about that is like what we get excited about with Shakespeare. Not everybody loves Shakespeare, but we do. But when when you've been taught it well and you've been inspired by it, like like what we do with our kids and what happened to us, we want to share that. That we want to translate that love that we have in a way that our students love it as well. And that's what I want to do with my Tauranga Māori. Like, you know, I do get kids roll their eyes when when there's a word and I want to unpack the etymology of the word of Māori. And, and, and I think I said to you, Chris, about, like, we do that with Latin. You know, and we, well, back in the day when we had those older teachers, they used to put a Latin phrase up on the board and talk about it. And if we are wanting to re- reflect a Aotearoa New Zealand education system rather than Latin have Māori and I, I suppose in some cases have Samoan or Tongan or Nuean or whatever but you know we're talking about um, mana uriti so so that's what you're that's what you're actually offering is ways for us to um, employ some of our expertise mm. in a mana uplifting way for Mm. both Māori students but also the notion of, of, of ways of thinking in Māori in classrooms. And, and, and at the same time, we've, we, we, we realise we have some tools. So one of them is we do, as English teachers, understand language as a general mm-hmm. idea and mm-hmm. there's a lot that we can 
share from that expertise that is useful when we're looking at how Māori language is used in New Zealand as part of everyday communication and also in the mm-hmm. specialist reo form. And so I think that sort of thing is like, I think the permission was something you offered. One of the reasons I'm talking to you on our podcast is just to share this n- notion that as English teachers, we can, we, we can uh, have permission to explore these things with our students yep. and the value in doing that. Yep. And that Parkia paralysis you talk about, that's uh, that's a that's a a thing that people study. And there's two things oh, sorry for that, I'll come back to you in a second on that, but there's two things I want to say about that. One is is that to recognise that that is a real thing to have. However, I would argue, as would many of my uh, experts that I read, to say it's not an excuse to do nothing. Um, it's we're too far down the track. It's, it's so so surround yourself and I'm actually the chapter that I'm working on at the moment is on my recommendations and what I'm recommending is that teachers surround themselves with people who can support and help them in the same way that we try to help and support our students when they are learning and trying trying new things. I'm thinking of about this weekend and um, this weekend the Enzate crew is all getting together and we're going over sort of the the programs of work for the next 12 months um mm-hmm. and as a part of that i'm presenting our conceptual framework um mm-hmm. which is based on three maori goddesses and that's sort of uh, fundamental to how we we go about our mahi and we're always mm-hmm. going to need to to strengthen our approaches and and all of us on on council are learners but as i was creating this workshop as a learner myself and and um I share with you that vulnerability, but from a much lesser space, um, knowing so much less, being like, who am I to be presenting this or who am I to be, you know, the the um, the nominee on, on council to be delivering this information and talking about these goddesses who are from a, a world that that is not mine and one that I don't belong to as, mm. as um, Nazi Pakia. But also the idea of thinking about how does the, the characteristics of these goddesses, how does this pudako relate to our work? As an English teacher, it's very accessible to mm. think about character and theme and narrative and worlds and settings and to be able, you know, it's almost like the um, that that meme or that where, where there's a conversation around, you know, the um, class trying to, unpack what colour the curtain is or why the curtain is blue and the curtain is blue. Um, but but as English teachers, it's very safe, very natural territory for us to be creating stories out of mm. um, out of metaphor. And I wonder if that um, I wonder if, if, if that privileges us and if, if we should sort of harness that and lean into that. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Respectfully, of course. Yeah, mm. I just wrote a paragraph on that and saying that, you know, as English teachers, it lend, it does, the idea of using Pudako does lend itself very easily to, um, into what we do in terms of helping us understand our world and communication skills. But what I have found from my research is it doesn't matter what you teach, you can still use Māori knowledge of course. to enhance. And, and that is what teachers and participants found that they were able to do. So the story of Hini... Um, uh, Ahu Oni, the 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 one where Tane tries to find which orifice to have sex with, 
to 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 have sex with the first woman, um, the PE and health teachers in the Wananga that I did were able to think about consent and um, mm. n- the power of knowledge and things like that. But my supervisor said something really interesting about the way in which um, what they you know puraka is seen as taonga tuku iho, so it's seen as as uh, precious a precious treasure that uh, we need to take care with and English teachers can't really well they 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 mustn't modify or or change those purako without the authority from somebody who has the authority to do to do that so yeah like you said to do it with respect um, but you can't just kind of mission mash a story mm. to suit your own ends. And the other thing that she said to me was that idea of the difficulty of non-Maori looking at a Maori narrative and bringing, you know, like the risk of the recolonization or the sanitization mm. of of the story, because that's what Percy Best did, and oh no, Percy Smith and Alsden Best did was they fixed the story so that it so that it went better with the western way of looking at the world I don't have an answer to it because I didn't grow up Maori and so the only thing that I could suggest and the thing that I do is I push it up the chain so like I'm very fortunate that I have a Maori publisher and so if I'm unsure about something I ask my publisher and if she's unsure about it she asks she gets me to talk to somebody who's a native speaker and Nati Puro, so same iwi as me. And so we just keep checking the experts. So in my school, if someone has a question about Shakespeare, they ask me. And if I don't know, I ask somebody else who's who's more senior to me. You know, and it's it's what we do as as educators. If we don't know, we find out from a reliable source. Mm. Um, so I don't I don't again have the solution to that that issue except to say um, you do what you're doing, which is checking that it's, you know, having almost like a, um, what's the person that, uh, a supervisor in a sense of someone that you can check that that has the authority to go, yep, that, that sounds about right. The other thing that um, my supervisor said, which I thought was really good, is when it comes to Pudako, um, she said if she was in a situation where it was um, mostly non-Māori, she wouldn't discuss or share her iwi-specific purako. She would choose mm. stories that are basically general stories that are out there in the domain and they, they're basically around for everybody. So those three mm. stories of those gods, you know, you can't really, they're bulletproof. Oh, that's a really bad metaphor. That, but, you know, you can't really tamper with them too much. I think what also provides us with um, an opportunity as teachers to use one of those really powerful teaching phrases, which is "I don't know." Like um, we we can we can we can encounter something like this with our students and say, "Actually, this is not something I have the either authority or knowledge or experience to be able to address." But let's yep. find out and and. Yep share that experience with the students. So we're kind of modelling that curiosity and respect as we go. 
the mistake that early, new teachers often make, isn't it, is they think that they have to arrive in the classroom expert in everything. And as we get more confident, we actually are much more comfortable at revealing our limitations and our areas of um, uh, uh, where we don't know things. And that can be really stimulating in a classroom. And Akona Māori in your classroom, they may have their own stories from their iwi depending on where they are and so tapping into um you know the similarities and differences you know like for here down here in kaitahu territory their their creation um purako is a little bit different to what i learned up north um you know with and the different names yep i'm interested in your thoughts um tanya on a unit of work that i'm nearly finished 5 p.m tomorrow is the deadline for my year 11s they better pull finger and (laughs) and finish it but I was really conscious of weaving in somehow te ao Māori, mātauranga Māori, mana ori te you know as as is the expectation of us as as practitioners and um, essentially this unit of work is that as a class we devise characters, setting, um, theme and narrative structure and then we divide that up according to how many students there are in the class and each student takes responsibility for a segment of that novella it ends up being and so we end up with this class text and each student has done a really good piece of creative writing um and before we started on this unit of work which 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 has no ties that, you know, if you looked at this product now, you wouldn't make any kind of association to um, Tiao Māori. But where it did begin was looking at these beautiful ministry publications of Pudako. Um, and we had a look at them and we looked at the characters and we thought about, you know, what are the characteristics of, of some of these gods, you know, mm. who, what makes a protagonist in these Pudako powerful mm. and interesting mm. and complex. And then we had a conversation around Papatuanuku and how is the landscape treated and how is the land a character in its own right. Um, and so we were able to have conversations and I was able to have conversations with my class as a um, in that safe English space and mm. I guess in a predominantly Pākehā space but making reference to something mm. that was powerful and, and bigger than the knowledge that I had without claiming that knowledge as being anything that belonged to me. Um, and as we were having those conversations, we were sort of really careful in the way that we spoke about things nice. and, and it did feed into our our own pūrāko, I guess now, mm. like the landscape, mm. and is um, there's an awa that runs through the the setting that we created, and it's life giving, mm. and there is a a wizard who has ancient knowledge, who has mātauranga, mm. but nobody believes the knowledge. So there's kind of themes of colonization, but we haven't attached any real Māori to that, but if you see where some of these elements of the story came from, it was through this investigation of Pūrāko and what makes, essentially what makes stories fantastic, but within a, a Tao Māori space. 
Isn't um, that exciting? That makes me so excited. Yeah, so I think, oh, yeah. wish I was in your class. It's yeah. cool. It's really cool. I mean, it, we, we are. I mean, there was an article that came out in RNZ this morning about, you know, absenteeism and oh, yeah. um, and we've got a little bit of that at the moment. So it's it's, a, it's such a powerful unit of work and I've, I've done it multiple times over without the initial focus on Pudako and Papatuanuku mm. um, within that Um so I think it, with at a different stage of the year, it would be better when there was more investment. But I'm pretty mm. proud of of the publication that we have, and it's cool nice. to hear students who, in in the setting that I'm in, most of them have very very little connection to Tao Maori, and mm. to hear them without even realizing it, making these connections um, to the Maori world is yeah, it's really exciting. It's it's That's tenuous, so but it's you know it's the start of something for them. Yeah, and for me as well, of course. It yeah, and and doesn't have to be Purako. Like it doesn't. Mm. When we talk about mana wariti motomotoranga Maori, that Maori knowledge is also tied up in that of the val- the values. And I think mm. that, um, I think that you know, like the Kahikatea um, report, which came out years and years ago, and it's being refreshed. You know, has has as its you know summary statement. What's good for Maori is good for all students, and what is good is that idea of those relationships. And you know, I've again, I've just done this recommendation. What what do schools need to do to revolutionise the, the the education for our students? It's to embrace Maori values, manakitanga, uh, kaitiakitanga, kotahitanga, fanotanga, and if and fakamana and uh, fakaitian. Fakaro Nui, those ones of caring for people, caring for being caretakers, all of those. If 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 we just looked at those, nobody would disagree with the importance and the value of all of those. If that's how we operate within our classroom, if that's how we operate in our interactions with people, with kids, students, with each other, then that is making sure that Māori knowledge has an equal status within our schools. Yes, and I think that the other thing you're doing when you do that work, Philly, is just developing the students' sophistication, nuance and sensitivity to notions like colonisation, their ability yeah. to kind of conceptualise that. And it's in the abstract of their fictional world, but it's actually very much a uh, reality that we have to understand to be able to respond well to. And it, make, it makes me think of, I actually, you know, I don't think I could have a conversation with you, Tanya, without moving to Shakespeare. And there's been that whole furor in the media about the Sheila oh, Wynn yes. competition and that phrase, a canon of imperialism. Mm. But in our conversations, we've also shared with each other quite often how much that material has to teach us in terms of human realities. And, yeah. you know, you think about the tempest and the sensitivities in that to colonisation and how it's presented mm. in such a visceral way. Mm. I'm not mm. saying we should teach Shakespeare exclusively mm. and universally, but I do think that even the material that others might consider to be representative of the empire have, uh, depending on how we handle them, can have quite a lot to offer. That's why I'm excited about how what I'm going to learn when I really get stuck into a Midsummer Night's Dream and look at how it might, you know, it was suggested that I could do a do a novel and that could be my PhD, although that feels cheaty. But I do like the idea of rewriting a Midsummer Night's Dream 
as a Māori story. Mm. I think that would be amazing. You know, like you two, um, you know, I don't have many Māori students, we don't have many Māori students at our school. Uh, it's a rural school um, and, you know, uh, we're doing predominantly non-Māori in our in our classes and it's hard to tap into. It's hard. I think it's hard for some of the Māori students because they stand out and with all of the staff trying to upskill um, I think they're feeling, oh, I don't know, I, I'm speaking on behalf, but I, I know that I am guilty of engaging with my Māori students to get the conversation going. And I think you made a comment in the Wananga, Chris, about being mindful of um, not putting them in that position and, and keeping them safe and, um, you know, not not wanting to rely too heavily on on them all the time, calling them calling on them to fill in the gaps. But, I mean, we do it anyway. If I want to talk about a metaphor to do with motorbikes, you know, I'll, talk, I'll ask Ford, who's in my year, who was in my year 10 class last year because he's a motocross expert, so tapping into that. Do you feel that the work you've been doing has created change for you personally, I guess particularly in terms of your own Māori identity? It's... It's made me feel less um, just because I suffer from that um, imposter syndrome um, because when you, like, you know, the, the arrogance of people who think they're good at something and t- because they can do something a little bit and then they go and hang out with a, a maestro and realise that they're actually not as shithot as they thought they were. And I guess that's how I'm feeling is that, um, I'm in awe of the f- fluent speakers that are around me, of people who understand something that I I probably will get to the end of my life and and not feel that I'm at a place where I've done enough. But I to quote Stan Walker, um, our ceiling will be the floor for the generation that follows. And mm. I think I've got to just accept that that's the way it is and that we are part of that change and that those who come after us, the teachers who come after us, will be further along than we are. But we've, we're making a change, which I think is exciting and important. And kind of the perfect disposition for a teacher, wouldn't you say? Isn't that what we want to do is we want to equip them to go on and be and make the most of the world and be better you've been listening to is this for credits the podcast of the new zealand association for the teaching of english check out what else we're up to by going to our website nzate.org.nz